That wonderful hymn, We Go to All the World with Kingdom Hope Unfurled, really could be the anthem of Jonah, couldn't it? Every day people walk past us on their way to hell. Every day. We're not certain how many. That's something God has in his infinite wisdom, his, his saving purposes for his own. We're not certain who they are, what their names are. But we are certain that every day, if we leave the house, if we live with our eyes open at all, we see that there are people walking past us on their way to hell. And, and, and the thing of it is, is the, the book of Jonah has searched us a bit, hasn't it? Do we care about these people? Do, do, do we see them as God sees them? Well, what we have seen in Jonah, I trust, is that it is very easy for God's people to be completely unlike God in his compassion toward the hellbound. It, it, it's very easy for Orthodox uh, church folk uh, to be out of tune with the God of the Bible. And how would you know if you're out of tune? Well, Jonah for us has been something of a, of a tuning fork, hasn't it? Are, they, are tuning forks still used? Or that's all digital now, isn't it? I'm dating myself. Okay. How do you know if you're out of tune? Well, you, you hear the heart of God in his word, don't you? Certainly we've heard that in the book of Jonah. When pride and prejudices or when, when personal comfort and, and, and concern of, of reputation take priority over our faithfulness as God's ambassadors, we, we find that we're in the same boat with Jonah. And, and many of us in these recent weeks have, have had our eyes open to the fact that, good heavens, I'm Jonah. When we're angry, that our notions of what ought to be happening in our nation run contrary to God's providence. We, we find that we're in the same boat with Jonah. And again, some of us have had our eyes open to the reality that we're, we're, we're Jonah. We're Jonah. You see, like Jonah, it's possible for redeemed people to have lives that are still littered with disobedience to the Great Commission or, or that are still characterized by a half-hearted embrace of our Lord's commission to, to function as his witnesses. And so Jonah has confronted us with ourselves in that sense. Are you relating to this at all? But the book of Jonah also shows us the beauty of our God whose mercy is not only wide toward those who are yet outside his family, but his mercy is wide toward us as well, isn't it? He's patient with us. And he will send his winds and his whales and his worms to do a teaching work in the lives of his people so that our hearts might be more in tune with his with respect to those who are perishing all around us. God trains his people toward 
wholehearted obedience as his witnesses. And I wonder if you've had any sense in these recent weeks of being trained up in that sense. I know I have. So how will we respond to the lessons of Jonah? Well, we want to see, first of all, how Jonah responds, don't we? We left him last week um, in the middle of a very hot uh, summer session of God's school of providence, didn't we? And he sat sulking in the heat, angry as the sun beats down on him. And, and we wonder, has, has he learned anything? And if he has, let's trust that God will give us grace to learn as well. Verse 1 of chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Remember, he's angry not only that the people of Nineveh repented and believed God, he's angry that God spared Nineveh. He was really hoping for its destruction, even as he preached God's gospel to the people. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? How many of you know when God asks a question, he doesn't need the answer? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their left, right hand and their left and much livestock? That's it. What a, what, a, what a strange ending that seems to be, right? It's a bit abrupt. Does it seem abrupt to you? Yeah. Me too. Very long question from the father. No answer from the child. How childlike Jonah seems to us as he relates to God, his father and ours. Is it right for you to be angry, God asks him in verse 5. He doesn't even answer the first time. Anybody else know a spoiled toddler or two? It seems familiar, doesn't it? 
Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God asks in verse 9. Jonah somehow manages to say something that's worse than not saying anything at all. Yes, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. So at last, he's a teenager, right? And I've just offended toddlers and teenagers. Sorry. What is his deal? Well, remember, Jonah, it's not a struggle with a lack of understanding about God. Jonah's a church guy. He's a professional religious person. Jonah knows all about God. He teaches other people about God. Ignorance of God's nature was not the cause of his disobedience the first time he was commissioned to Nineveh. And ignorance of God's nature was not the cause of his half-hearted obedience when he eventually went to Nineveh. He makes that really clear in his prayer. Look at verse 2 again. For I know, I know this stuff, God, that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah's trouble is not that he lacks knowledge of God's heart toward the lost. He simply doesn't live out the truth that he knows about God. What's that like, I wonder? So the purpose of the plant and the worm and the wind and in God's school of providence is to teach Jonah not about God, but about himself. He's meant to hear the tune of his own heart. He is God's prophet. He is God's commissioned ambassador to a nation, Assyria. And yet Jonah still is so unlike the God he represents. Still so unlike God in whose image he has been made. And so this this final lesson, if you will, is one that Jonah is going to have to experience as he's experiencing it now. All sunburned and pouting and mad. He's not going to learn this from a book. He's not going to learn this from a lecture. There's no small group for this. This is heart stuff. Are you hearing this? God brings him to a place of misery of soul, mental anguish, physical suffering, for love's sake. God's not going to leave his servant where he's at. Notice how God makes his missionary. Look at verse 10. You've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. See, Jonah has to be confronted with the fact that he cares more about the stuff and the circumstances that keep him comfortable than he cares about people perishing eternally. It was pure mercy from God that this plant grew up in the first place. It's a wild plant from a human perspective, not cultivated by him. This is God's plant. Jonah didn't earn the comfort and the security that he enjoyed in the shade of that plant. God provided it in all of his goodness. The word pity 
in verse 10 is meant to surprise us a little bit. Think about the word pity. You know what pity means. It's to, it's to be troubled about something, to, to look compassionately upon something or someone. And it's completely weird when applied to a plant, isn't it? Who has pity over a plant? Weird people. That's not normal. And we're meant to be stunned by that when it's compared to God's heart for the lost. You had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. The the, the point is not that we should all hate plants. The point is that Jonah is so self-absorbed that his affections are actually bound up in his comforts. In this instance, a shade-bearing plant. Aren't, Aren't you glad you're not like that? I mean, aren't you glad your affections are not all wrapped up in the gifts that God provides rather than God himself? I mean, that would be pitiful, wouldn't it? Because how could we reflect God to others when our affections are mostly wrapped up in ourselves? How how could we serve God fully when our affections are attached mostly to the good stuff God provides by his grace, the pleasant circumstances he lets us enjoy because of his mercy. We don't deserve that stuff at all. God repeats that word pity in verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock. What is the Lord saying to us? God's affections are attached to people he has made in his own image. And God's affections are attached to those he purposes to save. People born in ignorance. Did you pick up on Paul Azignon's uh, uh, idea of, hey, we have these glasses that were given to people who can't see. Well, there, there's an opportunity, right? People born without spiritual sight. People born in spiritual ignorance. In other words, people like us born in Adam until our eyes were opened to the truth of Christ. More than likely, the 120,000 persons who can't discern right hand from left hand is referring to spiritual ignorance. I think some of you probably have a a note in your study Bible saying that that's maybe referring to children. You know, children sometimes takes a while to learn right from left. Um, Sometimes I'm still struggling to remember right from left. But more than likely, this is ta- God is saying, look, these people that you hate so much, Jonah, these people that I had to force you to interact with, um, they don't know any better. The people you're repulsed by because they're those people and they don't come from you people, they don't know any better. They're lost in trespasses and sins. The Assyrians were brutish people. They were bloodthirsty people. 
uh, in fact, you, you, it, it wouldn't surprise us if we had at all wondered why the people of Israel hated the Assyrians. From a human standpoint, we would say, well, they had good reason to. And, and the Assyrians knew an awful lot about warfare and architecture and medicine and, and certainly commerce. They were so advanced in all of those ways, believing themselves wise, they'd become fools. They, they didn't know God. <laughs> and they only came to know their fallenness as measured against God's holiness. When, when the word of God was brought to them in the power of the Spirit, that's always what it takes. Do you, do you suppose that's still true today? People are born in spiritual darkness and only come to know of their fallenness in light of God's great holiness when the word of God comes to them in the power of the Spirit. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Somebody should go. Somebody should speak up. But nobody wants to be somebody, including Jonah. God sends his prophet to Nineveh. It was a three-day journey, remember, to, to get through the, the, the Nineveh metro area, as it were. And, and all the while, God wants Jonah to see what you and I are meant to see as we journey through our cities, wherever we are. Every day, people walk past us on their way to hell. And God says to us today, is it right for you to be so indifferent? Is it right for you to be angry that the things around you are changing in ways you don't like while so many are on their way to a Christless eternity? We okay? Well, we need to deal with the farm animals, don't we? That's a strange thing in verse 11. Um, and much livestock, you God cares about sheep and, go, and, and, and cattle and all of that? Of course he does. Do you realize the Bible says that, that creation declares the glory of God? That it's all going to be made new one day? That God has a magnificent compassion for all of his creation. But, but what he wants Jonah to see here is that that compassion shines really brightly when it's set up against the darkness of Jonah's cold heart. Because Jonah's the kind of guy who's thinking to himself that even if there were no people there, even if it was just the cows and the sheep and the goats, they would all be destroyed if God poured out his wrath on that place geographically. And he figures that would still be better than me losing this plant that's shading my sunburned scalp right now. And you think, well, how messed up is that? Until you realize, how attached am I to the things in life that keep me comfortable in an earthly sense? 
Well, did, did Jonah learn his lesson? I, I forgot to ask you that that would be the question we dealt with this morning. And so this is the beginning of the sermon right now, by the way. Don't get all excited. Um, do, do, you, do you suppose he's learned his lesson? It just kind of ends. We're, we're left hanging there, aren't we? Well, remember, Jonah is the author of this book. I mean, God is, but Jonah is the human instrument that the Spirit of God used to give us the book called Jonah. Listen to what the Scripture says about Scripture, which is always a good thing to look at, by the way. Second Peter 1, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Jonah is a holy man of God, says God. Jonah's prophecy, like all prophecy, doesn't come to us by a man spinning a tale however he wants to. Jonah was moved by the Spirit of God. That means something has happened to get the Spirit of Jonah out of the way. So we can be sure at some point, finally under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not his proud and prejudiced self, the man Jonah is able to be used of God to write this narrative. That's amazing to me. Because it's not very flattering, is it? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time. Go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed, just full on. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He obeyed, but half-heartedly, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a third time, though, didn't it? Write this down. Exactly as it happened. And Jonah obeys wholeheartedly. How do we know that? We just read it. Jonah, at last, has been made a missionary. He's gotten himself out of the way so that God might have his way, which he's going to do anyway. How would you like to write a book that makes you look so foolish and selfish at the end of it. Could, could you even write such a book and still be primarily self-centered and angry all the time? I would say no. The Spirit of God has changed Jonah. He's learned in the school of providence, hasn't he? He's done justifying his indifference to the lost. And we're meant to ask, are we? Jonah's done hiding the sin of his pride and his racism behind a veneer of devotion to God. And we're meant to ask ourselves, are, are we? There's always the danger of these things being practical. Jonah's anger cools as he finally sees he's no more worthy of God's mercy than the very worst of pagans, those he sees as those people, and God's elect people, isn't just people from Israel. In fact, many of them are not God's people in that sense, but God's people 
are to come from every tribe and tongue and nation. So his heart is finally transformed. And he realizes that the glory of God's reputation in Nineveh requires the loss of Jonah's reputation in Israel. That was a big deal for him. But he's let go of that by God's grace. Doesn't the scripture say this? Let let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. You see, now, now there's a bit of the fragrance of Christ in Jonah. This fellow who once stank of self-interest and prejudice. And, and we do well to end our time in Jonah with this fragrance of Christ. Because it's all about Jesus. Remember, Jesus said Jonah is a sign pointing people to him. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So our Lord is drawing from this record of Jonah as he reasons with the proud and prejudiced religious people of his day, the Pharisees. And he refuses to perform for them, to give them yet another sign of his deity, who he really is. Why? Because their entire history has pointed to their need for the mercy and grace of God. God had always called his people to himself through belief and repentance. It's not to do with nationality. It's not to do with ethnicity. It's not to do with heritage. It's not to do with religion. Salvation is all of God's mercy, not merit. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, Jesus says, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Do you realize that Jesus identifying himself as a greater than Jonah Uh, There's a sense in which that validates the transformation that has occurred in Jonah. What an interesting way to put that. A greater than Jonah is here. So if if we're still tempted to look at Jonah and say, good heavens, what a messed up guy. What What a complete failure. We're way off course. Because God's mercy has transformed Jonah's heart. Has God's mercy transformed your heart? The fact that Jonah wrote the book that makes him appear such a failure proves the point. He's now taken the way of his master, hasn't he? So Jesus is acknowledging that in God's economy, uh, Jonah was a a great man in that sense. He's he's finally gotten out of God's way. He's, He's a missionary at last. And yet as great as Jonah was, 
His greatness is entirely eclipsed by the greatness of our Savior Jesus. A greater than Jonah is here. Do you, do you see him? Do you see, for example, that Jesus is greater than Jonah in his mercy? Maybe that's the easiest one to see of all that I'm going to mention, only three. Jonah was a son of Amittai. We were told that right at the very beginning of the book. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Um, Jesus has no earthly father. Jesus is eternal. Jonah was sent from one sinful nation, Israel, to another sinful nation, Assyria. Uh, Jesus left the glory of heaven to carry out his mission. What, What mercy toward us has been shown by our Jesus? Jesus stepped into time from eternity to do with perfection what Jonah did so poorly. Jonah was a poor reflection of the image of God to the people of Nineveh. And we don't have to imagine what that's like. Oh, but Jesus, the scripture says, is the express image of God in man. Jesus is God. Jesus said one day, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus comes in our nature, yet without spot, without blemish, so unlike Jonah and so unlike you and me. What mercy we see in Christ. And, and, and a greater than Jonah, Jesus, does not shrink back in disgust at the sight of sinners. He moves towards sinners with compassion. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, he says to his own. Listen, are you one of Jesus' friends in that sense? What's what's he mean by that? Sinners that we are. You see, at the very heart of the gospel, a greater than Jonah is here uh, in Christ. So much greater in his mercy, but but what of the greatness of Jesus' message? Pay attention, because this is the message we're to bring to the world. We need to know what the message is. Jonah's message to sinners in Nineveh was simply that judgment was coming. Remember that? Please tell me you remember that. Okay. Looking like you're engaging is a helpful thing for the person up here. I'm just saying, all right. But think about this. Is is that the message that Jesus preaches to you today? Just just that judgment is coming. Is, Is that the extent of the message that he has commissioned us to preach to our neighbors and our our family members and the rest of the world today. Well, please hear this. Jesus does say that judgment is coming. Don't miss that. Don't skip that. 
Because if you skip that, you will be peddling the prevailing false gospel of our time, which is that God doesn't care about sin. Turns out he does, because he's holy. But he has made provision for those of us born into sin, and that's every single one of us. Jesus one day is going to appear as the eternal king that he truly is, and he's going to judge this world. This world is not going to go on forever. It doesn't matter how much recycling we do. And your life is not going to go on forever. How odd for a people who live obsessed with not talking about death. There's a 100% death rate. (laughs) And one day this Jesus, a greater than Jonah, the, the word of the Lord who came to man the first time, The word who became flesh and dwelt among us will come a second time. Amen. And he'll ask you to give an account of what you did with your life. You see, like Jonah, you've been made in the image of God. You've been created to reflect that image of God. And Jesus will call all people to the seat of his judgment and demand an account of what we've done with our lives. Are you ready for that day? How how can you be ready for that day? Somebody was just telling me between services that he's been sharing with someone in his um, workplace who is, you know, they're, they're just really convinced that they're a good person. They've been a good person their whole life. They're the progeny of good people, in fact. And yet the scripture comes to us and says, man, stop comparing yourself to other people. Compare yourself to the holy God in whose image you've been made. And you get a different answer. There is none good. No, not one. And so on this day of judgment, the only hope we have to be prepared to escape God's wrath for sin is to be found in this Christ who has already been judged for us. Do you see Jesus this way? Great in his mercy and great in his message. Because remember, unlike Jonah, this prophet Receive sinners like you and like me. How much greater is Jesus than Jonah in his message? Well, Jonah, when you think about it, he had an amazing message to share. I mean, when he went back to Israel and said, guys, you're never going to believe this. I was swallowed by a whale. And I... And I'm standing here in front of you. I was in the thing for three days and three nights until it barfed me up. And not a single prophet would have said, you know, the same thing happened to me. (laughs) I mean, that's a singular story in that sense, right? He's the only one with that story. But but what what of Jesus? Well, Jesus himself says that, right? Jesus plunged into the sea of God's wrath for your disobedience for my sin 
swallowed up by death itself in that tomb after he shed his blood on the cross. And you know, Jonah had to wait, didn't he? For death to let go of him. When God told that whale, let him go. How many of you know death waited for Jesus? No one took Jesus' life. He gave his life. And so until Jesus had drunk every last drop of of the cup of God's wrath for the sins of his people, death waited. And until Jesus had been in that tomb three days and three nights only to to rise again in, in the power of an endless life, death lost. And Paul says that, doesn't he? Death, where is your sting? That's the gospel. That's the gospel message we're meant to proclaim. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so I just ask you before we wrap up here, have you run to the shelter of this one who is greater than Jonah? Greater in his mercy. Greater in his message. Let me just end with this. Jesus so much greater than Jonah in his mission. Jonah sent one man to one country. Jesus sent to the earth with a message for all people. And he's charged his own to be the ambassadors for this message for all people. Jesus said this, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. (laughs) This is our privilege. And this is our charge. As a church, yes. And as individual members of a church, of course. So are we pointing others to this same shelter we've found in Christ? What others, you ask? Well, every day, people walk past us on their way to hell. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let me just end with a, a quick story. Do you have time for a story? It's coming anyway, but it's a, it's a rhetor- that's always a rhetorical question. Um, you, you know about the Titanic. Do you know about the Titanic? Yeah. Um, you, you may not know about a fellow who was on the Titanic named John Harper. I didn't know this until I just read it a couple, three weeks ago, but John Harper was the pastor of a place called Walworth Road Baptist Church in London. And he, and he was traveling to the States to preach at um, Moody School in Chicago. And um, as Titanic began to sink, um, Harper, who was a widower, 
gave up his seat to another passenger. He had a ticket for the, that was back in the days where if you were of a certain class, you got to live and the rest not so much. And so he, but he gave up his privileged seat, if you want to put it that way, to somebody else. And he sent his daughter and his sister to safety without him. And as, as, as long as he was able to, he went from passenger to passenger asking something like, um, do you know Jesus? Will you not repent and turn to Jesus? And eventually he would take off his life vest and give it to somebody else. And as long as he could swim from person to person, it said, he went from person to person calling on them to repent and believe in Christ. He lived his last moments, a dying man, preaching to dying men. In other words, he lived as one who knew he belonged to another world. He, he, he was a citizen of another city whose builder and maker is God. And he made the most of the time God gave him on Titanic. Not much. And the John Harpers of the world, and very frankly, the Jonas of the world, challenge us to ask ourselves a few questions, don't they? I mean, I mean, if Harper could speak up for Jesus on a sinking ship, and if Jonah could go to Nineveh with the message of God's mercy for sinners, imperfect as he was, and then write about it later for God's glory and our benefit, surely we can trust God to move us to tell others of Christ wherever and whenever his providence opens doors for us. And the issue isn't so much that we, we all ought to go. Uh, it's just that as we're going, as we live, we're all going somewhere. Do we trust in the God of the message that he actually saves people through the proclamation of the gospel? He still does. And we're evidence of that. Those of us who are God's people today. Wouldn't it be a marvelous thing to actually mean it with all of our hearts. When we sang that last song, we go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. Because we really believe and know that no other name has power to save but Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful word from your heart to ours. We thank you that you moved Jonah to record your truth for us, not to just know, but that we might be changed by it. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to do that work that you have begun as we have focused on this account of your prophet. And Lord, I pray that if there are any among us who are apart from you, Jesus, that as, as your greatness has been lifted up, you would draw lost hearts to yourself. And Lord, may you find that we more and more have your heart for the lost. Thank you for helping us 
to hear the tune of our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name.